0: Welcome to the Paris Cinema Podcast, where we discuss cult films, genre films, experimental and art house movies, and anything else that is flown under the radar of mainstream moviegoers. I'm Caleb, and I'm here with Adam, and today we're talking about one of the best and most original cyberpunk films, Tetsuo the Iron Man. So this film was written and directed by Shinya Tsukamoto, and stars... Tomowaro Taguchi as a salaryman, and Kei Fujiwara as his girlfriend. As I mentioned, Shinya Tsukamoto stars in the film as the metal fetishist, and he is also uh, credited as one of the directors of photography, along with Kei Fujiwara. So it's kind of interesting how pretty much all of the uh, roles responsibilities of this film were shared by just a handful of very small crew very small cast and the film was edited by Shinya Tsukamoto as well music was composed by Chu Ishikawa and Adam you want to tell us about what this movie is and what it's about
1: sure so the official description of what this movie is uh the film begins with Tsukamoto as the metal fetishist Surgically implanting a piece of metal in his leg Uh, Shortly after he sees the wound infested with maggots and he goes crazy and runs down the street Where he's hit by a car being driven by the salaryman Played by Taguchi his girlfriend played by Fujiwara is with him Uh, They dump the body in a forest and then they have sex while the fetishist seemingly watches them Uh, the salaryman then becomes cursed by being torturously turned into a body of metal and flesh.
0: So Adam, I know uh, um, I picked this film and I've seen it a bunch of times and you have not. This is your first time seeing it. Um, So I just want to get your initial reaction to it. Um, What did you think?
1: Well, first of all uh, during this podcast I'm going to play the part of the guy that has very little knowledge of what's going on. Because that's (laughs) that's how I felt the entire time I, I pretty much had no idea what was happening although it was pretty uh, shocking I've never seen I've definitely never seen anything like this before I tried to follow along with with the story but uh, you're a lot better at analyzing the plot than I am but I'll just tell you it was about an hour of absolute shock <laughs> and just uh, confusion but but in a good way what do you think? I mean,
0: it's definitely an extremely shocking film the first time you see it. This film was one of those that was recommended to me, um, I believe, by one of my, my one of my old film school friends back in the day. And uh, it was just kind of like thrown out there, hey, you should see this movie, with really no explanation. Now, at the time, this was probably about I don't know, 12 years ago. Um, It was a little bit more difficult to get a hold of, but it was available on DVD at the time. And so I remember just kind of putting it on, and my first reaction was just like, what the hell am I watching? And I think the first time that you go through it, it is kind of confusing. One of the reasons why it's a very visual film, there's a lot going on visually. There's a lot of fast-paced cuts, The the pacing is extremely fast, and there's not a lot of dialogue. So, without people kind of talking and telling you what's going on, um, it's really difficult to to figure out. So, it is one of those movies that you really do need to go back and watch a couple of times. Um, And the more you watch it, the more it kind of comes to you and you realize really what's happening.
1: I hope somebody realizes what's happening, because it's not me. Um, (laughs) I I think... (laughs) you know, during the whole movie, uh, there was just so much weird special effects and the dialogue, to me, didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Kind of seemed like almost absolute random chaos, which maybe that's what it was supposed to be about, but you'll have to tell me more about that as we go on.
0: I think that even though there is a plot and a storyline to this, I think it kind of takes a backseat to the visuals and the emotional impact that it's trying to impart on you because it's very much like it's very intense it's very much in your face and it's really trying to invoke a a response from you and that first response is just usually shock um, because you're just being pummeled like shot after shot scene after scene with everything that's going on and that's why i said like even if you're paying really close attention and actively watching this closely it's still difficult to figure out what's happening in front of you definitely yeah it's so yeah i would recommend you just go back and watch it a second or third time because it will it will come to you and be like you'll just realize that uh there there is a story in there it's just it's 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 sort of takes a back seat, like I said to to the the visual impact that it's trying to impart.
1: yeah, I'll say uh, I was lost the minute the guy had a drill for a dick,
0: yeah well, that was one of the um more memorable scenes of the movie, I would say, um,
1: yeah, I'll remember that,
0: yeah. <laughs> It's uh it kind of comes out of nowhere. The scene that we're talking about and uh, we can kind of get into some of our like our favorite scenes, but there's this is definitely one of the things that stands out to me the most when I think about this movie is the giant drill penis. And <laughs> it's just once you see it, you can't unsee it. There's just no way. There's no going back. There's
1: no that. going back, right? So essentially
0: what we're talking about here is the salary man, as he's known in the film, uh, essentially uh, becomes cursed by the metal fetishist to endure this just torture of, of his body being consumed by metal, but he's sort of becoming this like metal creature. And during this process, he's in his apartment, and one of the first things that actually happens to him is his penis turns into a giant metal drill, and his, uh, his girlfriend is, um, is a little bit shocked by that. She's a little bit why. afraid of what happens.
1: Mm-hmm. Happens to me all the time, but nobody's shocked. No. Well, this is reality, you know. This yeah. is,
0: you know, got to create a little bit of drama in the movies. Um, <laughs> but uh, so they get into kind of a, uh, an altercation um, after that. And uh, it's, it's a very memorable scene. Um, one of the one of the other uh, scenes that I really like—it's sort of a uh, sequence, I guess, where we see the the metal fetish just sort of flying through the streets of Tokyo, and this is very like fast-paced, almost like a stop motion time lapse feel yeah. to it, and that's clearly the way it was filmed. But it's just very intense and just just visually very interesting. What would you? Yeah, think? Yeah,
1: it's like he was. Uh flying without taking any steps
0: right and it's almost like they have him standing still like a statue but he's still like just violently just soaring through the streets so and that happened several times throughout the film i just i love seeing that
1: and somehow there was no other traffic or anything on these streets of japan uh yeah in
0: tokyo of all places yeah
1: i don't know how they cleared cleared the streets but Yeah, there was nobody there and if there was somebody there i'm sure they would have been a little disturbed by what was going on
0: yeah possibly the uh the other scene that i really like that's just one of the most impactful like shocking moments is near the beginning of the film where we see the fetishist implanting the metal into his leg for the first time and it's just very visceral you see him cutting into his leg and it's very gory and horrific. Um, it looked real, right?
1: It it looked totally real, and this was made in what what year was it made? Nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, I I thought it was real. Yeah, I mean,
0: you know, we can get to talking to about some of the the effects later on, but I, I will say that this was a essentially a no budget film. I mean, Tsukamoto self financed this, and as I mentioned, he. He, he performs a lot of the crew roles and responsibilities and acts in the film, and it takes him 18 months to make this film, but it's all done by hand, essentially, with all of these effects, and he does a really great job at, uh, with it. And the production design of just seeing all the metal and the piles of metal and the costume design with the, the Iron Man and all of those things, it, it's done really well
1: yeah and by the way uh every time we say the word iron man it's not what you think um
0: (laughs) so i'm not talking about robert downey jr
1: (laughs) yeah don't be expecting uh that yeah it's not in this definitely the opposite i do have a question about how the film looks so i understand this movie was filmed with 16 millimeter film is that right that's right yeah and he used to and this director used to use super 8 so I don't know the difference between those two, so is one better than the other, or can, can you tell me why? Yeah, so
0: essentially you can think of the size of the film as the amount of resolution that it has. So Super 8 is eight millimeter film, 16 uh, millimeter is double that. Um, of course, the most common uh, film stock in Hollywood is still 35 millimeters, so as you go up, in size, you're getting a bigger film negative. You're getting more resolution. You're getting a sharper image out of it. So, Super Eight is kind of an amateur format. There aren't too many professional films that are that were ever really shot on Super Eight. Although some uh, some films were shot partially with Super Eight. Um, quite a few uh, films over the years have been shot either on sixteen millimeter or or more commonly Super sixteen. Um, and really the difference between those is the Super 16 just uses a little bit more of the negative. Well, essentially it, it uh, captures the image in the space that would normally be reserved for an audio track. Uh, uh. And Super 8 does the same thing. It's eight millimeter film, but the original eight millimeter was designed to have an audio track. And so Super 8 just records an image where that audio track would be you know, normally, um, uh, reserved for.
1: Wasn't there super eight camcorders like in the 2000s that were made by Sony? Is that the same thing?
0: It's oh. not the same thing. No, uh, <laughs> what you're thinking of are, uh, the, oh, uh, eight, the, the high eight cameras and the digital That's eight right. cameras. That right. was essentially an eight millimeter, um, videotape, um, and okay. videotape records quite a bit different than film. Uh, but, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, um, so yes, the Sukamoto shot this on 16 millimeter film. One of the things that you can notice, um, well, I didn't notice this before, but I recently just watched this on the Blu-ray edition. And the Blu-ray is so much better uh, image-wise than the old DVD that I used to watch this movie on. Now, with the DVD, usually... Uh, you're sacrificing the resolution and the sharpness and a lot of the film grain is lost uh, when it goes to the, the video transfer. But in the Blu-ray, um, you see all of that film grain. It's very sharp. It's very like gritty looking, um, which I think adds to the look of the film. But um, one thing to mention is that uh, after this film was... Uh, was completed they were trying to get an international release and um, so they had to reshoot some scenes later on after the film was already completed and you can sort of see how some of those um, uh, scenes look a little bit smoother almost and i'm not sure exactly what happened with that but it's noticeably different it's either they shot on a slower speed film or maybe a more modern film stock but it almost looks to me like some of it was shot on thirty five millimeter because it's just so much clearer in those in those shots. So it's something I didn't notice um, in on the DVD version, but on the Blu ray, it's it's quite noticeable at least to me.
1: Yeah, the one the one that I watched, I don't think it was Blu ray quality, but uh, I can <laughs> can only imagine the shock value of this movie in four K. You know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I mean. I don't think that's really necessary, but um, yeah, the Blu-ray release is fairly new. I believe it came out in 2020. So, you know, for years I'd been seeing this. um, The only way to see this movie was either um, on a DVD or some kind of low quality streaming option. For a while you could actually watch the whole movie on YouTube. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. how they got away with that, but um, the very low quality version on YouTube was Uh, Available for many years, and it might still be. So, uh, tell me, what are what were some of the scenes or shots that stood out to you?
1: Well, you know, the use of foam in this movie was pretty interesting. Like, I, I I liked. I think it was towards the end where you could see things becoming metal, and it it looked kind of like somebody had sprayed like hair mousse or something Mm -hmm. on it, and it had that foamy look. And then suddenly it would turn into like foam that's been coated in chrome, you know. Yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting, but I think my favorite part was the end, which, uh, of course, had to involve another uh, big penis, because I guess that's that was the hot thing back then for movies. Yeah, especially um, in Japan. Yes, yeah, especially in Japan. But, uh, man, that, that ending was just, uh, I was not expecting that. <laughs> I thought, uh, I wouldn't call it a happy ending. I, don't, I actually don't even know what kind of ending it was.
0: How would you describe what actually happens?
1: Oh, boy. Um, in the end? Yeah. Well, from, from, from my perspective, uh, somebody won the fight. Now, I couldn't, I couldn't really tell the difference between who was who, but somebody won the fight at the end and that person seemed to absorb the other person and they turned into a big kind of glossy looking i guess it was a big metal dick or something <laughs> and and then there's a guy on the, on the top of it who apparently is the one who won and then there's a guy like stuck in the middle with his face sticking out and and you can tell that you can tell that he must be in a lot of pain or something but then he says how great he feels right and and i just thought i i liked that because that was like so opposite of what i was expecting and then they did the more they did more of that uh running down the or flying down the streets stuff which must have taken forever to film but
0: yeah this kind of uh This will kind of segue into some of my favorite lines in the movie. You know, we really really didn't talk much about the dialogue because they're almost—it's almost non-existent. But there's a couple of really memorable lines um, uh, during that scene. And essentially, what you're talking about, Adam, is there's a big fight scene between the metal fetishist and the salary man who essentially becomes the Iron Man. And the Iron Man wins the battle, but this giant conglomerate of metal, this fusion of these two people together that, like you said, sort of resembles this giant penis. It's the metal fetishist is kind of the face at the top. And then the salary man slash Iron Man is the guy at the bottom who, you know, he says, I feel great which makes no sense cuz you you know he's got the foam kind of coming out of his mouth and he just looks like he's been completely gone through hell but um, yeah it looked
1: like he was about to die but yeah. he, apparently he loved it
0: but once they are fused together that's when you hear this great these great lines and the first one is our love can destroy this fucking world and i don't right even know after, what that meant i yeah, have no idea it's just it's just beautiful it's like poetry yeah, And um, we can rust the world into the dust of the universe.
1: That makes total sense.
0: Yeah, it's just profound <laughs> lines, but it just sort of gives you an, uh, an introspective look into the, the psyche of the metal fetishist and what yeah. he's trying to achieve, which is essentially to turn the whole world into metal. Why?
1: We don't really know.
0: Uh-huh. Why not? But, yeah, no, why not? I mean, it's a <laughs> thing
1: to do. Yeah. I mean, what else gotta you have, gonna do you going to do? Got to have hobbies, right? Right.
0: So there's there's sort of this element of, of course, you know, this is a cyberpunk film, so it's got this fusion of of this 80s technology and the way that it just is incorporated into our lives and is changing our lives and how it affects us. But this this film takes it even further into, in, in this way where it shows this fusion between biology and and uh, metal and this this technology and all of this stuff so it's a really interesting way that they've they've they put this together yeah I mean what what do you what do you think about like how this sort of represents what's going on in the world at the time during you know this is the late 1980s this is the you know this is filmed in japan but uh what do you think what do you think that is actually going on
1: like i said in the beginning i mean i'm not sure i know what was going on and you probably know a lot more about it than i do and also like we said in, in previous podcasts caleb is the film expert I'm just a guy that watches weird movies, so I would always refer to him for what's going on. Now, from what I know about Japan and what seems to even currently be the case is that everything in Japan is extreme. Like, it doesn't matter what it You know, the game shows are crazy, TV's crazy, the anime's crazy. Everything's crazy all the time. And I think some of that has to do with uh, being in kind of a... and, and and by the way, just so everybody knows, I really want to go to Japan. I, I'm very fascinated by Japan. Um I know that it's it's kind of a the opposite uh social structure that we have here in the United States. Um, and that's kind of what I love about it. So I think there's there's kind of a an introversion to society in Japan. And I think this movie was like an explosion of extroversion you know like Mm -hmm. it was just in everybody's face like uh, hey look what we can do and we're just totally crazy and sometimes people like that you know I think not just people in Japan but people like you and me and other people that like to see just crazy movies this is gonna be I mean this is legendary for being uh, an insane movie Kind of like a racer head or you know Twin Peaks stuff like that. And like
0: I said earlier, this is a this is a movie that isn't necessarily totally focused on just the story. There's a lot of commentary that you can kind of read into this, and there's there's a lot of ways to analyze this film and to just sort of pick it apart and try to figure out what Supermoto was thinking when he made this movie. And that's one of the things <laughs> that makes these kind of movies so interesting is there isn't necessarily any. Right or wrong answers as to what's going on, or um, you know what the director was thinking in his mind. But you know, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. You know, if I had been there when he was making this movie, that's exactly the question I would have asked: Is so, what exactly are you thinking? Because I don't know. It was absolute, absolute insanity. I think probably the most insanity I have seen in any movie. And I've seen a lot of weird stuff. This was total chaos the entire yeah, time. And,
0: and, you know, we can talk about the cinematography and the editing a little bit, and that's, that's partly what kind of gives this this film such as an intensity. And, you know, we mentioned that this was filmed on 16 millimeter film, but one of the advantage of these 16 millimeter cameras is they're very small and light, especially compared to the 35 millimeter films of the day. And so this this movie was essentially all shot handheld which gave it sort of a, a Jason Bourne sort of shaky cam feel to it and you see that all the time now but um especially in horror films but back in the 80s it was it was very uncommon um and as i mentioned a lot of it was just the just the sheer weight of, of cameras back then, there was, was difficult to just, you know, throw a camera on your shoulder for long periods of time. Um, and when you did see a lot of handheld movement, you would typically see it on a on a steady cam, you know, so it wasn't very shaky. So that was the first part of it, uh, was this, this, the look of this shaky cam, which, you know, is it, as I mentioned, has sort of become a horror convention. You see that in so many uh, the horror films for the last twenty years, and a lot yeah, of especially
1: because, the the found footage stuff.
0: Yeah, and um, so it's a it's a particular look, but back then it was fairly new. And then you combine this with the the extreme fast pace of the editing and just the pacing of the film overall, and that just kind of gives you this like intensity to it. That if it was slow paced, if it was like you know the shots like lingered a little bit longer, um, you wouldn't really get that feel to it. and the the emotional impact of this movie is really what made it so effective.:
1: I would definitely agree with that the the I don't know much about editing, but the editing looked to me like it was a lot of uh, fast cuts. I mean, th- there was never a time. In this movie where there was nothing happening
0: yeah yeah you know? the the only shots that you sort of see where the camera lingers for a bit um, at least the the shots that really stand out to me the 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 shots where the salary man and his girlfriend are having sex in the in the woods and you have this point of view shot from the the fetishist. And they think that he's dead and maybe he did die and he was just resurrected. That's not really clear in the film, but essentially they run him over with the car. They bring him into the woods. They have sex while they think that he's dead laying there. But then we see this point of view shot where he's actually like watching them. Wow. And that's it's, hardcore. It, yeah, that's it, it's a shot that sort of lingers there for a minute. As this point of view, and so it is kind of an interesting um, uh, shot because it's so so different, just the style of it from the rest of the film. Um, so you get a couple of those moments here and there, but overall, that's that's that kind of goes against the grain of of how the rest of this movie is.
1: So when it came to the the visual effects, what what I mean, you said it was a no budget film. So what, how do you think? they made such interesting looking, uh, effects with no budget.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I mean by no budget, it wasn't that they had no money. Um, but essentially there was no investors, everything came out of pocket. Uh, just, you know, as I mentioned, as an auteur filmmaker, he just was going to do anything that he could do to make this film happen. When it came to the visual effects, I mean, that was all him. Most of it is stop motion animation. So you see the, the shots where um, they're running through the streets and that's all time lapse. You see the shots where, you know, there's like all of these crazy like wires wrapping around things and, um, <laughs> you know, just stacks of metal that are piling up. And all of that stuff is, is um, for the most part, stop motion. So. Um, for those that don't understand how stop motion animation works, is you you move something, you take one frame, and then you move it again uh, just a little bit, and you take another sh- frame, and 24 frames make up one second. So that means for one second of animation on screen, you gotta essentially get 24 different movements of something, and you just it's very time consuming. It's very tedious. If you have if you have the time. You can do it yourself, and you know that's clearly what Sukamoto did. He didn't have the money to hire a visual effects crew or um, a studio to, to do this, and so he did it all himself. Um, but as I mentioned, he did this over the course of eighteen months, um, so he had the time. He just didn't have the money.
1: So, so I thought the makeup in this movie was surprisingly good, even though I knew it wasn't like high budget or even low budget. I I thought it looked like something I've never seen before. And like you said, with uh, the use of the stop motion, um, I think they were able to take uh, something that wasn't necessarily high quality costumes or anything, but make Mm it move in a way that was interesting that other people had haven't seen before. So they kind of made the most out of what they had, I think.
0: Yeah, and in terms of, like, the makeup slash, you know, costumes, um, I think you're right that it's it's pretty realistic looking as much as you can say that, you know, a guy that's, like, turning into metal is realistic. I mean, I think that what he had was just a, a lot of scrap metal. Um, I did read somewhere where they had dismantled a ton of TVs and they've just taken the guts out of TVs and used that for a lot of things. Um, and so I'm sure there's a lot of interesting things, like when you start cracking open the electronics in the 1980s, um, that you can use a lot of that stuff just um, just for the, uh, the costume effects and so forth. Um, there are some really good makeup effects, and I wonder if the fact that this movie is in black and white sort of hides some of that, because A lot of the things that um, you can sort of tell on on horror movies, especially um, ones that are low budget, is the makeup effects or the gore effects don't always look super realistic um, because the color of the prosthetics doesn't necessarily match the skin tone of the person that's wearing it. Yeah. I think that that's really noticeable sometimes. And having it in black and white, I think, is sort of a savior in that regard because you can put on these prosthetics. You know, what I mean by that is just like pieces of skin and other things like hanging off that um, the color doesn't matter quite so much.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that. Like like if it had been in color, it would have been not as good.
0: Yeah. And the black and white does does more than that. It sort of really um puts a punctuation mark on how graphic this film is like it's very very graphic and the way that they just lit the scenes as well really reminds me of like like german expressionism from like the 1930s <laughs> yeah it was like it's very like like if if you've ever seen like nosferatu uh, for example just that sort of feel to it uh it's not realistic lighting at all. Um, it's very, very um, stylized, but it's very good. Um, and again, for having a, like, a limited budget and a, a filmmaker who doesn't have a ton of experience, to be able to pull off lighting effects like this and to just really give it this style and this mood to it um, is really great. And again, like, I think the black and white only helps you in that situation because you've got one less thing to worry about. You don't have to worry about all the colors. You, know, you don't have to worry about like or trying to solve the problem of color on the screen. So, it simultaneously like makes it easier to 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 make a movie like this, but also it just adds to what you're you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve, and I think the black and white was just perfect for this movie.
1: One other thing, I think this movie may have invented what you and I call the super stress shot. Now let me explain to everybody what that is. So let's say you're watching a scene of somebody opening a door, right? And they're reaching for the doorknob and then it shows the doorknob, then it shows their eyes and then it shows the hand going towards the doorknob and then it shows the eyes again and maybe the guy is sweating and then it shows the doorknob again and the hand and then the eyes are like super intense again. You know, you know like, creating a just an extremely stressful situation. Right. No, nothing was more stressful than this this movie. Nothing.
0: Yeah, I mean everyone was just like pouring sweat out of their face like the entire film. <laughs> there was never really just like like I said apart from like that scene where like they're like that sex scene in the woods. That's like the one moment of like calm in this film. It's, like yeah. when they're having sex and the fetishist is dead or they yeah, think he's dead. Yeah, the dead guy dead. watching. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's I mean, the calm that's like, part. That's like the break and then after that it's just like all hell breaks loose.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, hell broke loose I think about I don't know 2 minutes into the movie. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, it was pretty quick. I mean yeah. even the even the opening title credit sequence was just like in your in your face. Yeah. And in addition to the visuals i mean we get, we have to talk about the sound design here i mean what what did you think about the effects and just some of the sounds that they use in this film
1: so so when it comes to sound and music so that that is something that i i know about and one thing i thought that was interesting was they used uh in the music a lot of metal sounds like it sounded like there was hammers hitting stuff or or just metal being banged together, which almost kind of made the music. It was a real industrial soundtrack. I mean, I see in the notes here that that you put down that it sounded kind of like Nine Inch Nails, which is exactly right. I mean, even though this movie was a long time ago, if Nine Inch Nails had existed, they would have written this soundtrack.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I believe. Pretty Hate Machine, uh, Nine Inch Nails' first album, came out the same year that this film did. Mm. Um, so, not to say that one influenced the other, but there was definitely something going on at the time, because this sort of, um, you know, as you mentioned, industrial sound was was, was pretty new to the late 80s, it, it, it was sort of the next stage of, like, the, the new wave synth pop sort of sound that was all dying out and then everything was becoming uh, this industrial sound they are probably using the same instrumentation you know I mean it's all synth but it was just a completely new sound and I I think that's a good point that you made about just the metal sounds Uh, I mean that makes perfect sense for this movie to be banging on metal things and just claying noises and you know overall just like you know in addition to the music i mean just this the sound design with all these just scratching sounds and scraping oh, yeah. sounds and just everything just sounded like metal on metal you yeah, know the whole thing yeah i mean there's one um uh, the the scene where the girlfriend is just uh licking this sausage suggestively Oh, you know, and it's her tongue is going up and down in the sausage and you just hear this metal scraping sound. I mean, that sound (laughs) shouldn't be happening, but (laughs) I hear it and it's like, this is just awesome. Yeah. I mean, I just love it because it isn't what you expect. He's giving you something different. You know, this isn't the world that we inhabit. This is a completely different world that these characters are in. And we don't know what the hell it is or what's causing this, but it's really interesting to just hear all of the sounds.
1: Yeah, it was totally crazy, and, and uh, something else about the music. There, there is a group in Japan that you and I both like, called Yellow Magic Orchestra, or mm-hmm. YMO, who really was may have been the people that pioneered the whole synth sound. I mean if you watch some of their music videos, they're, they're literally sitting in a room with wall-to-wall synthesizers, you know, probably making one noise. Right. Uh, and I, whoever did the music for this kind of took it one step further, I think. You know, instead of uh, using synth just for pop music or, you know, later on, dance music, this was something scary. It was almost kind of like scary synth pop. If that makes sense, which yeah, it
0: does. And, you know, this is a horror film. I mean, we keep talking about cyberpunk and, you know, in a way that's that's science fiction. That's a lot of different things. But really, when it comes down to it, this is a horror film in every every way that you can imagine. You know, I've, I've heard this being described as body horror. Um, I don't know if you can uh, explain a little bit what that really means. But um, that's just something I've read.
1: Body horror. So maybe people will agree with me when we talk about things like... uh, I'm trying to think of a good body horror movie. Um, I think there's one called Teeth that recently came out about female private parts having teeth. I think that's that's what it was called. That's a body horror film. There's been some movies where people cut their own skin off and eat it. I guess Saw wouldn't really be considered a body horror film because it's more... It's more really torture porn, but uh, you no know, b- body horror. I'll have to look into that and, and uh, find out some more examples. But but I know what what you mean by that.
0: The way I sort of interpret it, as compared to some of the other traditional horror films, is that it's more fear of from the person of their own body and what that might represent or what that might ultimately. Cause in terms of, like, the fear as opposed to, like, an external device or an external right. creature or an external serial killer or some of these other things. And, you know, this film is about a guy who turns into a big chunk of metal. And it's, it's his body is literally transforming in front of our eyes. And you see that progression and you just see the terror on his face as he sees himself going through this process right and yeah it's it's pretty terrifying
1: i'll agree with that like for, for people that are not used to seeing uh weird or extreme movies i mean you, you can't go from watching you know you can't go from watching a rom-com and then say hey let's watch tetsuo the iron man because you'll both be traumatized for the rest of your life so i'm gonna ask you what what would you compare this movie to?
0: The first thing that comes to mind when I think about another movie like this is definitely Eraserhead. There's so many um, films that can be compared to that and there's so many filmmakers that have referenced that film at at some point in their careers, but it's pretty apparent um, that this was an influence on Tetsuo, the Iron Man, um, for a few different reasons. I mean, besides the black and white look of the film, the the first thing that stands out to me is actually the the sound design. And a lot of these scraping, scratching sounds are, are the things that stand out to me about Eraserhead. It's just the whole sound design of that movie is just really weird. I mean, apart from the plot and everything else that's going on in it, you know, it's very surreal. Uh, feel to it. The sound design is the first thing that makes me think of like Eraserhead when I'm watching Tetsuo the Iron Man. But I don't know. Is there, is there a film that you've seen that you can compare it to?
1: Well, okay. For the shock value, I don't think there is. I I, I actually haven't seen a movie where it immediately started being total insanity and it was that way from that point forward like like i said 2 minutes into the movie it's totally nuts all the way to the end i don't think i've seen a movie like that but as far as as far as how it makes you feel when you watch it it's uh you know it it does kind of seem like a really fast paced david lynch movie maybe or uh i see in the notes here you you put down requiem for a dream that would definitely be one too because it it had those really fast uh, paste cuts that made things yeah. seem stressful, and
0: yeah, and that's a good point because you know Darren Aronofsky, as well as many other filmmakers, have referenced Tetsu of the Iron Man as an inspiration for their own work, and that was a film that really stood out to me as just apparently drawing references from this movie. And if you haven't seen a Requiem for a Dream that's another film that's just very intense it's very um challenging to watch uh, for a number of different reasons but i can see how that film draws from tetsuo
1: the iron man just not only in its themes but just in its style i don't think i've seen anything lately that's like this that i can think of so maybe maybe it's time for somebody to make another something like this yeah you know and we can we
0: can talk a little bit about the um, sort of the future beyond this movie. I mean, Tsukamoto made a lot of films during his career, and he's still kind of working here and there. But um, he did make two sequels uh, to this film. Um, hmm. I haven't seen either of them, and apparently, they're they're not as good. But but they, you know. There are some there are some films that kind of continued on with this uh, with this style, and I think that Tsukamoto sort of went on to um, continue this style throughout his filmmaking, but it was never really the same. I don't think that any of his films quite had the impact like this one did.
1: Yeah, I, I actually haven't seen the other stuff, but I'll have to watch it because if it's if it's like this, I mean, I'll, I'll probably like it. If it's more mainstream, I'll probably like it too, but uh, nothing I've seen compares to this. Yeah, the
0: the other filmmaker that I could mention or recommend to people, and we might eventually do some of his films on this podcast is um, uh, Takashi Miike, who is another Japanese um, director. Uh, He made a movie called Ichi the Killer um, definitely go out and see that. Uh, highly recommend it, but you can really see the uh, how um, his films were influenced by Sukumoto and Tetsu of the Iron Man. But yeah, Adam, I don't know if you've ever seen any of his films.
1: Uh, I don't think I have.
0: Okay. Each of the killer is kind of like, I would say that one of his more famous movies um, mm-hmm. that a lot of people that, you know, in the in the United States would probably have seen. But uh yeah, we'll uh if you haven't seen any of his movies, maybe we'll we'll uh we'll check some of them out down the road.
1: Yeah, definitely. So just a few
0: tidbits of trivia um regarding this that I found kind of interesting. As I mentioned earlier, uh Sukumoto was is very much an auteur filmmaker, and what I mean by that is he pretty much was producer, writer, director, um, actor, editor, essentially had his hand in every aspect of this film. And when he wasn't actually filming with the camera himself, and he was, he had to be in front of the camera, and one other person, um, uh, who is the uh, woman who played the girlfriend, Fujiwara, she operated camera as well. So oh. these two people who are essentially the cinematographers on this who are also acting in the film, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Oh, I I did not know that. That's, that is interesting.
0: Yeah, so I mean, Tsukamoto had the camera almost all the time and, you know, obviously when he was in front of the camera, he couldn't be operating it himself. You could put it on the tripod or something like that, but that wasn't the style of this film, you know, it was always handheld everything. So um, I can only assume that uh, you know, Fujiwara was probably um, operating camera, and then I think they had one or two other camera assistants throughout the film. Um, but it was basically a skeleton crew. I mean, that's minimal crew on set. He went through quite a few assistant directors during the production, and apparently, uh, people got so fed up with the way that this this film was being made, just, just chaos on the set every day. Uh, Apparently, they were losing some someone from the crew quit almost every day. Now, I mean, being that this was a skeleton crew and there weren't a lot of people, I mean, we're probably talking about, you know, production assistants or, you know, people along those lines that were just coming on for the day or whatnot. But, uh, yeah, apparently people didn't stick around for very long uh, during the production.
1: I want was this movie in the theaters? So just real
0: quick, the release of this film uh, was in 1989. It initially, screened at the, it initially screened at the Fanta Festival in Rome and it was awarded the best film. And really? they didn't even screen it with <laughs> subtitles because they couldn't afford it. So whoever saw this movie in the theater only heard the Japanese language and did not see any kind of subtitles. But again, as we mentioned, there isn't a lot of dialogue in the movie. So it's not like you're missing much at that point, And they were still able to get best film. Wow. Um, the, there was a, a limited theatrical release in Japan um, in 1989. And then wasn't released in the U.S. until 1992. Um, shortly after that, it did become available on VHS. And for several years, that was the only way to watch it. And that's sort of how it gained this cult status. People started watching it on VHS and sharing it and, and so forth. And, um, eventually it got a proper release on DVD. And that's how I initially saw it, um, years ago was on a DVD. Um, and as we mentioned, uh, it did, it didn't get released on Blu-ray until 2020, but. That release is actually a very good. Transfer um, the quality of it is excellent, and so that's mm-hmm. probably as good as um, you could have ever seen the film uh, apart from seeing it on the big screen in the theater. So, it took about thirty years from nineteen ninety two to you know 2020, 28 years or whatever it was um, to get a good release of this uh, film.
1: Yeah, I wonder what. I wonder what people thought in the theater. You know, like <laughs> they sat down, they're like, oh, it's going to be a action movie or horror movie or something. And then they're like, why did I pay for this? Or, or they're covering their girlfriend's eyes or something, you know, because it's just, it, it was too insane. I probably would be interested to see it at 4K just because, you know, <laughs> the shock value must be a little bit higher, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: especially if you're watching this on a home theater or big TV, the the higher resolution, the 4k would give you more of visible film grain, which would make it a grittier looking film. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times the lower resolution films that you see streaming and whatnot the, the, they actually look smoother. So a lot of that grittiness actually gets washed away. Because of the just poor um, quality video. Now, do you uh, d- did you happen to look up any of the contemporary reviews or yeah? Um, anything I'm looking at it right of, now. Like, Rotten Tomatoes, etc. Like, yep. How did this film how how well did this film uh, <laughs> do in terms of reviews?
1: Well, okay. First of all, Rotten Tomatoes is not technically the end all be all of movie reviews i know a lot of people think it is but oh it's not it's no that's shocking to me it's always it's always just up to you now you and me might have some disagreements about rotten tomatoes but here's what it says so so rotten tomatoes had 16 critic reviews for this movie um at 81 percent. so 16 critic reviews it's not that many uh I think most of the movies on here get, like, you know, a hundred or something like that. Um, it had over ten thousand audience ratings at seventy-six percent. So, okay. uh, people, you know, whoever it was that saw it, uh, seemed to like it because both of those are are uh, pretty good scores on Rotten Tomatoes.
0: Okay. Well, I mean. I would say that, you know, a lot of times there are discrepancies on Rotten Tomatoes between the audience score and the critic score. But I would say that generally, I'm just going to guess because there's no way to confirm this, but my guess is that the audience that has seen this movie are generally people who are more critically minded or yeah, um, film enthusiasts or scholars or just general, generally people that would go out of their way to find a movie like this. Yeah, Um, and that's, I would say kind of in line with the thinking of like someone who would want to become a professional movie critic. You know, these are people who are passionate about film who, you know, they don't always get it right, but generally speaking, their minds work a little bit different than a mainstream audience. This isn't a movie for a mainstream audience. Um, it's definitely become a cult film, uh, but I think that those you know, just hearing those, those review scores, kind of makes sense to me. And well, I would you- generally agree that you know this movie. If I were to if I were to score it out of four stars, I'd probably give it three and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, for what it is I I don't think that it's one of the greatest films ever but it's definitely up there in terms of its importance its impact and generally what it sets out to do which is to shock the hell out of you and I think that that's um, that's very successful what it's been able to do
1: yes so so I'm looking at the reviews right now of the critics and there's only 16 so not many to to read but one of the only bad ones, it says, it's from filmcritic.com, and it says, it's surreally disjointed. But I'm thinking, why is that a bad thing? That's
0: a good thing. Yeah. That's it's, one of the things that makes it great.
1: I know. So this guy is totally wrong. Whoever you are, you're wrong.
0: And some people just aren't going to enjoy films like this, and that's totally fine. I love films that make me want to have to go back and watch them over and over so that I can just glean little bits and pieces and learn more about the film. And because of how fast-paced this is, it almost is a requirement to go back and watch this because no matter how intent you are and how active you are in viewing this, you're gonna miss some things along the way. And every time you watch it, you're gonna pick up something a little bit more. And it might just be one shot that, that you didn't catch the last time, but every shot in this movie is like a masterpiece. I mean, every single shot, and there's a lot of shots in this movie.
1: Yeah, so one of the good reviews here is by Rob's Movie Vault. And it says, unquestionably, it's a feat of imagination and technique, but an hour of it is more than enough. I completely agree with that. I think an hour is more than enough. And uh, it's definitely 100% imagination and technique the whole thing
0: definitely and we should mention that the runtime on this is only about 67 minutes yeah so you get about as much as you need out of it it doesn't really need to be much longer you never really feel like it's too short um or too long for that matter it just right. feels like the movie ends you don't really think about the runtime, and you're just like okay i got everything that i needed out of this film was it 67 minutes that's totally fine
1: yeah, yeah. Sixty-seven minutes more than enough. Unlike the Snyder cut, but we'll get into that later.
0: Yeah, that's 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 a whole other <laughs> podcast.
1: That's a two hour podcast right there. <laughs> so
0: I rated this at three and a half stars out of four. What uh, would you rate it?
1: Uh I would well, okay. I'm gonna rate it out of five stars. I, I would probably, But I just rated it out of four. Okay, I'll just rate it out of four stars. So are I going to make th- things difficult.
0: Let's just <laughs> yeah. go with the most simple method. Some people like ten stars, that's too do many fractions stars. Fractions of stars. Right. It's like let's just do four stars. That's plenty. That's yeah, plenty we can, of stars.
1: We can do stars and half a star. So Okay. So out of four stars, I would give it three. Now only because I think you liked it more than I did. But I also am not as much of a professional film critic as you so um, you probably saw a lot of things that i didn't see or that i wouldn't notice
0: i well no i think that's fair and i think that also i think that if you watch this more times you'll like it more the the first time you watch this undoubtedly you're just going to be confused as to what you've just seen you do have to go back and see it and that's kind of how i was initially this is a movie that has grown on me, the more I watch it, the more I like it. So I do, I agree with, with you rating it three stars. I think that makes perfect sense.
1: If there's anything you could change about this movie, what would you
0: change? There's not a whole lot that I would change to be honest with you. There's nothing that really stood out to me that was like, you know, I don't really like that. It was, it was everything that I needed out of it. Um, the acting was incredible i Even agree with that they, har- yeah. they hardly say a word mm-hmm. as you mentioned earlier just the intensity that they brought the stress the just sweating all of the things that the performances were just everything that they needed to be the i mean the effects and the and the makeup as good as they were they i mean they weren't the best i've ever seen so i mean i i hate to I hate to knock the film for stuff like that when the budget was so low, um, and really there wasn't a serious problem that I had. You know, the the there weren't really any technical flaws that I can really think of either. So, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is I I can't really think of anything that I would like to change about this film. I like it a lot, and okay. um, I can always go back and watch this movie over and over, and uh, it's it's great every time.
1: Okay. that's a that's a fair assessment um if i was to change anything the only thing i can think of is maybe have more times where it's just a little bit slower just a little bit Mm -hmm. just kind of a pause because it was constant chaos and that's fine but maybe more of a explanation of what's going on somehow not not a total explanation because A lot of movies uh, are better when it's not explained and I think that's this is one of them but just a little bit more for me that's what I. yeah
0: and it's definitely a challenging film I wouldn't say that it's on the level of like like a David Lynch lost highway sort of thing where no matter how many times you watch it it just gets more and more confusing (laughs) I think that there is a definite um plot to this and a definite definite story um it's not explicit though and so it's one of those things as i mentioned the more you see it the more it kind of comes together and you see those moments they're all there it's it's you do miss a lot though so what you're saying is totally valid
1: well I, i i hope so
0: yeah uh you know we always like to talk about the elements of gratuitous violence and sexuality um you know And I call this, you know, is it art or trash? And during this film, we see a couple of different sex scenes between the salary man and his girlfriend. And we also see a lot of um, kind of extreme violence. Is it art or trash?
1: Art or trash. So, okay, so the, the sex scenes, I mean, it's not like you're seeing the junk or anything. I mean, it's, you know, it's Japan. There's there's some censorship going on. Uh, I don't think it was gratuitous at all I mean I can think of lots of movies in the United States that show way more than, than this movie so no problem uh, as far as the violence no I I, I don't I mean I don't think it was extreme violence the most extreme thing was just the transformation of the guy into mm-hmm. the metal guy I think so no I I. not I wouldn't put this as an extreme sex or violence movie at all. And I I
0: generally agree with that. I think that everything that's that we see on screen is an artistic approach um, and everything that, that we do see is necessary to either explain something of what's going on with the characters or or to advance the plot. So I generally agree with that. I think that everything that we see on screen, although in some cases is quite graphic or gory i think that it's absolutely appropriate for for um what we see on screen
1: so you know we we really uh want to know what you guys think about what we said about this movie if you've seen it if you haven't seen it then get out there and see it um it's gonna be shocking it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be i guarantee something you've never seen before so you should be able to find this movie on Amazon for sure. And I believe it is It is also streaming on Shudder. Uh, Shudder is a streaming service that does uh, basically nothing but horror movies. It's really good actually. So uh, uh, if you get a chance, sign up for that and watch this movie. And let us know what you wanna hear about next. We always wanna hear your ideas for movies or topics Thing you want to talk about, so make sure you let us know. Again, thanks for listening everybody. Uh, this is Adam signing off. And thank you Adam
0: for uh, spending the time with me today. We'll uh, be with you again next week with a new movie.